The Athletic. Welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Coming up, football pauses for national mourning, Walsh's world record transfer and pitch invasions. It's Lindsay Hooper here and joining me today, it's former England and Arsenal captain Faye White. Hello, Faye. Hello. Also joining us, the Athletic Women's Football reporter, Charlotte Harper. Charlotte, hello to you as well. Hello. Now, this week, as you all know, sadly, Queen Elizabeth II passed away at the age of 96 after 70 years on the throne. May she rest in peace. And of course, that did affect the footballing calendar in particular as well, the very start of WSL for this season. I want to start, though, with some memories, Faye, because I know that you met the Queen. I saw your picture go up on social media over the weekend of when you received your MBE for services to sport. I didn't realise quite how close you'd got and, and you looked like you had a conversation there too. Yeah, yeah, 2007 in the summer and the June, I remember going up to Buckingham Palace and I saw that flag on the building and it was that moment that it really did hit me that, oh my God, this is a big deal, I'm going to get to meet the Queen. But yeah, she, so small, very dainty, but un- incredibly, the kind of impression I got was so strong, so full of duty um I think she I remember if I remember right because I look at that photo too and think god she's the same same height as me but I think she actually stood up onto um a little platform to when she pinned it on but yeah you get a couple of questions um but I just remember my heart beating out my chest my legs <laughs> shaking because you walk into such a grand I think it was a great ballroom I think at the time it's massive with obviously knowing that you're going to face her and there's certain protocol you had to do and I was trying to remember all that and um yeah but it was unbelievable and just the sheer kind of presence that you felt of her mm. um and obviously when you play for your country as well and sing that national anthem it kind of me- means so much more so when I heard the news obviously on Thursday like everyone else it was deeply saddening saddening for for us for for everyone I understand but I was quite emotional and really struck by it well as I know a lot of people are and because of the great service that she gave us and you know for all our lifetimes yeah absolutely I mean I was at West Ham uh, at that game that went ahead in the Europa Conference League against FCSB and you might have seen some of those pictures actually Charlotte so they had the the picture of her meeting Bobby Moore didn't they when 66 um, that all happened at West Ham and they they also had a an outpouring of singing God Save the Queen that everyone joined in with. It was really moving. And then since then, over the weekend, the very first time at the cricket, it was God Save the King. It's going to feel unusual, isn't it? It will be interesting to see those players you remember to replace the Queen with the King. But yeah, definitely unusual. And I'm sure we'll come on to it in this episode of the decision that was made. News has just come in, actually, that WSL fixtures are going ahead uh, this weekend. I know there were concerns about the Premier League matches regarding policing and stewarding, but at least we have this weekend and, and we should be able to hit the ground running with the WSL. I suppose WSL matches less risk in terms of police presence. Is that why? I imagine so. As we know, lower order of risk at the women's games. 
Um, we were expecting Stamford Bridge um, and Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the Amex to host the opening weekend uh, just gone. So, yeah, it's it's great that we can finally get going and, you know, continue that bounce off the Euros, hopefully. Let's get on to, to what you're talking about there, Charlotte, with the cancellations, because as a sign of respect, all football in England was postponed. It included the opening weekend of the WSL. It was meant to be a big post-Euro showcase with a big clash between Manchester City and Arsenal on Sky Sports. Plus, there were games being held at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and holders Chelsea were going to be at Stamford Bridge. I think the Amex also holding one. Charlotte, as you've already said, lots of sport got cancelled as a result. Do you think that was the right decision to cancel the whole weekend of football? Personally, and and this is with all due respect to the Queen and the Royal uh, family, uh, I think football missed the mark. Uh, I think we could have paid respect with black armbands and the national anthem and a, a minute's silence as other sports continued. We know that cricket and rugby and racing even went ahead on Sunday. That is just my personal opinion, but we know that there were reasons for doing so, especially with the WSL. They felt that they had to you know, stay united with the Premier League um, and the EFL, especially considering the close links with the royal family, that the Queen was the patron of the FA and her grandson, William, is president. So it's a shame for the WSL, especially because it's a big blow with with that Euros kind of euphoria. And the decision is made, I suppose, it will only see the impact of those attendances on in the weekends to come. When King George passed away, all those years ago when Elizabeth took over the throne... I did see an article that was released about what happened then. Now, football continued. Football did continue. I do wonder whether society is in slightly a different place now to what it would have been in the 40s, for instance. But the other thing to say, I suppose, on the other flip side of that, Faye, is that we pay respects at football quite often with a minute silence. We do that for former players that have passed away. We do the minute silence. We do the armbands. Did it need something more? You know, this is a monarch that's been around all of our lives, 70 years on the throne. It felt extraordinary. So did it need something more extraordinary to mark it? Um, uh, yeah, I do think so. I think for the service that she gave, for the gravity of the situation, um, that I think she deserved for certainly the national sport of this country to, to stop, like you say, she was the patron, Prince William is uh, part of it as well. And I think it was a good nod to to show that respect, really, and just to let everything stop. You know, football is important to a lot of people, but from, in my opinion, not important to overshadow that moment, really. And I think it was a, a good respect to show just for a weekend. Yes, there's a few games, a lot, thousands of people are involved um, and maybe impact on, but equally, you know, she was our monarch for over 70 years of service. And I think just to let life slow down and remember that and remember the history of it all, really, I think in today's society, like I said, when it didn't happen last time, when George VI died, that's very different in society. And um, so I do think just for, you know, one weekend, uh, I know it may be impacted slightly next weekend as well, whether it's just Premier League by the sounds of it. Um, I, yeah, I think it was the right call, really. I know there's lots of people were against it and thought we could have uh, shown our respects. And But like you say, we do that a lot in football. So I think this was a, a bigger moment. It was a bigger moment in history. And I think people just to be at home and see the what you saw on the telly, I, you know, I think it was important to, to remember it and mark it. 
The one thing I suppose we can say about the timing, though, Faye, is that for WSL in particular, I suppose given the post-Euros push, those record crowds, the huge stadiums that had been selected, have we missed an opportunity, I suppose, is, is what people will be thinking. I mean, I'm always an optimist, really. Um, I do think the um, it was geared to this. Yes, we know some big stadiums were going to be used, but equally it's a massive moment that did you know, make it turn. And it was not just for the women's game that got called off. So I, I don't know. I think people are pretty resilient and bounce back. I think the Euros and the fact that we won it will stick in people's memories as well. And they'll say, OK, it didn't happen this weekend for maybe good reason. We'll, we'll go out in force the next time. Um, it will just be seen whether those stadiums can be used again for that fixture so that people don't lose their money, etc. We hope that can be the case. But I think we've shown over the past few years with the pandemic and how women's football's bounced back more than uh, better than it has before. So I think, yes, it's, it's disappointing. It was all geared up. So many people, that, that expectation. But it, it's a massive thing that happened that changed it. So I don't see it being too much of a problem. I think from a player's point of view, fan point of view, I think people would just be more determined to go out when they can and, and, and view it. Charlotte, in terms of rescheduling fixtures, certainly the WSL ones, for instance, you feel like that might not be as problematic as in the men's game where it feels very, very clustered. But there is a big but. Will we get those big stadiums again? Do you foresee that being an issue, getting back into those men's stadiums? That's the key question, isn't it? Okay, we may be able to rearrange fixtures midweek. But will they be at Stamford Bridge and the Amex and Tottenham Hotspur Stadium? If you compare that with Kings Meadow, Leighton Orient and Crawley, difference in attendances and a, a different pool factor, though it is the club's decision to see if they can host at the men's stadiums. The key thing is fixture scheduling um, because that causes uh, pitch wear and also availability of staff. The key window looks like the Men's World Cup when that kicks off and the WSL continues. The thing is that WSL already have fixtures in place for those weekends. So can we switch those to men's stadiums and can we switch the rearranged games to men's stadiums? Mm. Well, we do know that WSL matches will be back on uh, next weekend and it will surely be an easier opening tie for Manchester City when they travel to Aston Villa as opposed to hosting Arsenal. Uh, It's been a tough transfer window as well for City, as we discussed on last week's show. And since then, they have lost player of the match in the Euros final, Kira Walsh. We'll have more on that next. This is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. So yes, we're led to believe that Kira Walsh has become the world's most expensive female footballer of all time. She joins Lucy Bronze at Barcelona for a fee thought to be worth around £400,000. It does vary that fee depending on which news outlet you read, but that's £150,000 more than what Chelsea paid Wolfsburg for Pinilla Harder in 2020. And the Athletics' Paul Ballas, who reports on Manchester-based teams and Spanish football, sent us this voice note to give us a sense of what went on behind the scenes. I think it's fair to say that some felt at Man City that it was probably time to change some things, to freshen out the dressing room. It was a dressing room full of players that had been together for a long time and sometimes you need to freshen these things up. That was something something that was in mind at some key figures at Man City. But at the same time, I don't think that for what I hear and for what I know that Gareth 
Taylor is happy with 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 how everything has been panning out. Basically, because I think that the main problem here is that as long as you might want to change things in the dressing room, you have to be like right on the recruitment. You have to be aware that you have to bring the certain talents, the certain players to replace big names that are leaving. I'm not sure if if Man City expected all these players that has left to live. And yeah, it's a tricky situation. I think that in some departments, probably Arsenal and Chelsea has probably done things better than, than Man City. But yeah, it's just a matter of time just to see how it develops. I think that Kiro Walsh was, of course, a, like a departure that City was not expecting and a departure that was very much cooked in Barcelona because for what I hear from some contacts in Barcelona, as soon as City was knocked out of the Champions League, people in there was quite convinced that Kiro Walsh would end up in a Barca shirt. So I don't know if City was on the front foot on that de- on that department. All we know is that from the club, um, they reiterated on the last weeks that Kiro Walsh was not a player that they wanted to sell. But at the end of the day, these kind of things happen. I think that the club needs to be prepared in terms of recruitment if those issues happen to you. And yeah, I, I think I feel that some at City feel that they have not been prepared enough, maybe. Charlotte, we heard what Paul had to say there. There is no getting away from the fact that City have lost nine first-team players in this off-season. And what else has happened there is that we've seen players be quite vocal. So we've had one player in Georgia Stanway say, I wasn't happy there. We saw the reaction from Caroline Weir when she scored against Manchester City to knock them out of Champions League football, which seemed quite odd the way that she very much over-celebrated that. Is there more that we need to read into this? Why do you think there has been a mass exodus of players leaving? And I think Walsh's transfer just finally tipped it over to another talking point again because she was City through and through. I think it's as, as Georgia Stanway was saying that, you know, players want to be challenged and... Sometimes they've grown stale under Gareth Taylor and it was time for the move for Kira Walsh. You know, Barcelona in Champions League, have been in Champions League football recently. Manchester City, nowhere to be seen. So they want to be pushed. They want something different. Gareth Taylor is under enormous amount of pressure, but they've got quality players in there and who have replaced them. It's just whether they can gel quickly enough um, for the season to come. Again, an early Champions League exit just applies an extra strain on the team. Do you read into this, Faye, that it points at Gareth Taylor or do you think it points at the fact that there is no Champions League football? Is that element of the challenge that players are moving on for? Yeah, a little bit, but I have heard rumblings that, you know, also looking from outside in that you think, oh, is there something not right? Just especially when they went through that bad phase at the start of last season. Yes, they did pick it up because they got those players back. But um, I just wonder whether some of the more senior players can, you know, maybe get what they need from him um, as a manager or that communication. Um, I'm not sure. But equally, some of those young players have been there a long time. You look at Stanway, she's been, it feels like, been on the scene forever. And she's only, what, 22, 23? Same with uh, 
Kira Walsh. And I mean, I would say I've always thought City, I, what I liked about them is that they were amassing a good squad, but it was a core of English players. But now that is obviously going and all the new players are foreign, it, it kind of does seem like a big tide is turning. And will he be able to get all those, um, uh, you know, gelling and, and playing well? But I think also when you've got a group that have always been there together, there's sometimes that's when rumblings can start because they want a new challenge or they, you know, I suppose with Caroline Weir, she always was in and then she was out in and I don't think she ever knew if she was one of his main favourite or starters. So um, I can see may, maybe why she's moved on um, equally, although I do think she's an amazing talent. I wish she'd never left Arsenal personally. But yeah, I think it is a bit of a strange one. I think there's more rumblings going on. But Charlotte was saying is uh, Gareth's under pressure, but I think City look like to, from their hierarchy, stick with their managers because they don't bring them in from abroad, do they? They bring them up through the youth and it's very much that's their way. So, yes, I think there is pressure for him to succeed because of the money and the players that they're bringing in and the players that he had at his disposal. But I also think he's probably quite safe and backed. They'll give him time. But equally also, Nick Cushion had a real good relationship with those players that we were all, all talking about, didn't we? And seemed to maybe have a different way of management, I'm guessing. And that's just from reading between the lines. Well, let's all discuss now then how you replace tactically Kira Walsh in this team. I was going to say about just replacing her and this like for like because they brought in Yui Hasegawa from West Ham on deadline day. And that would be, if it was just a replace one in midfield, that might be actually quite a good replacement to get. But it's not just about that. It's replacing the whole midfield. So it's no Weir, it's no Stamway, no Walsh. So I guess my wider question is, how do you replace a midfield at Man City? I'll divert a Faye first because she'll uh, she'll know how the midfield works in front of her. Um, well, I, I look at, so you've got um, Angledar from Sweden. You've got Vicky Lasada, Blackstead. These are all like inter- top international players. Yes, Lasada not in the Spanish team now. But I mean, Angledar played in that game against England for Sweden, didn't she? But in midfield, but... I, I I thought of that on that day. Thought, well, Stanway and Kira Walsh would be like, well, she can't really get into our midfield at City. So I think they would have had a real confidence playing up against her. Um, so I, I think they're strong players, but they're not top top you know players that they've lost. Um, and even some of the uh, um, Hasegawa, I would say, good, yes, but is she really the quality? It will wait and see. I think we're obviously playing with better players around her. Well, she will certainly raise that level as well. Um, but they have got some good Spanish players come in. Obviously, Mary Fowler forward. I did think they would need a forward as well. Obviously, Ellen going. Let's just say got Bunny Shaw. But again, I don't think she's really a week in, week out replacement for Ellen White. Um, but yeah, it's a hard task because it's literally the whole midfield that has lost. And I think they would have been building uh, their midfield around Walsh before that big offer come. But I think they would have been naive to not think that someone was going to come into her after the Euros in the way that she played and all that attention that England players did get. Another one to watch is Laia Alexandri, so Barcelona youth player who's joined from Atletico Madrid. She played in that kind of deep holding midfield role for Spain in the Euros when Alexia Puteas uh, was ruled out with the ACL. So she'll be one to watch. And I think she really held her own in the matches that she did play for Spain. So that could be an alternative for Walsh. Walsh's fee, it was. it's talked about that it's this record fee. And I think that we've probably got to get our heads around the fact that that record is going to keep breaking, isn't it, Faye? It's not going to stay still. How long do you think it's going to be until we get a first million pound player? 
Well, I mean, we've got the World Cup next year, haven't we? So <laughs> what, who knows? that? We, can it move that quickly? I mean, it's almost doubled again since, obviously, Penilla Harder come in. So, yeah, maybe. You, would, you always think it will be heightened after a major tournament. So I wouldn't hold it off with the way the women's game's going. But, yeah, to even think that £400,000 has been mentioned even from a few years ago, uh, it's just quite surreal. But it's a good thing. And, uh, and I'm When pleased. you were playing, what was the biggest transfer <laughs> fee that was knocking around back then? Nothing. I think the players would have paid a fiver or a tenner to make sure that they, their manager would let them go. You know, we, we just didn't have that. It was um, maybe mm. signing to have that salary, to have that income yourself, but never the thought of, oh, you know, we'll be you'll be actually transferring money to get them out of their contracts because we didn't have them um, initially. So, um, yeah, it's great. And I, I was going to say that I'm ple- so pleased that it's an English player now. You know, I, I saw the likes of always being foreign players, being German, being... Um, you know, Danish and other top players, Marta, um, that were always getting these top awards and this, um, you know, the big fees, etc. But um, or big wages with Marta certainly. But um, yeah, now it's the English players that are winning those trophies and getting the the um, attention. Really, I think it's great because it just shows the investment that's been put into the game and the quality that we've always had. Once that investment was there, once those players were given the same platform to play in the Euros, to play for their countries, to play in WSL. Um, high level week in week out it just shows what talent we do have in this country the deadline did close on Thursday Charlotte for the window so looking back I mean there was a few deals that were done on the final day but most of the business was done earlier in the window which transfers leap out at you as being good business Um, for anyone who did miss a few that happened on that final day um, Aston Villa signed Man United's Kirsty Hansen on loan Charlotte Wardlaw was loaned to Liverpool from Chelsea she returned to Liverpool because she played there before Uh, Leicester City signed winger Ellen Jones as well but there were some big ones earlier on weren't there yeah there were big ones earlier on I'll just add one more to that deadline day was um, Giovanna Queros from Barcelona to Arsenal and reports of her then being loaned out to Everton a, a really talented player who had the option to play for the US uh, youth team and Spain and Brazil so a, a really interesting youth career in terms of the international stage but also the domestic season a top class player the question is just how she will fit in with either the Arsenal squad or the Everton squad and whether she has the personality in the dressing room to gel with her team members. Well, where these new players all slot in will be revealed this weekend um, when the games get underway. We'll have answers to all of that. So excited now for it to get going and seeing some of these up close. Let's get the Spanish perspective now on the biggest move of the window. Bea Redondo is with us. Bea, the last time that we spoke was just after that nail-biting Spain-England Euro quarterfinal. A lot has happened since then. And now we're talking all things Kira Walsh. She was just integral to the midfield for England over the summer. And now she's in Spain to be a Barcelona player. Yeah, for Barcelona fans, it was so exciting to see that finally come to fruition. So, yeah, great, great news. Mm. We had a Lionesses special that ran on Sky Sports over the weekend, Bea. And I did speak to Kira as part of that before she joined Barcelona. This is when she was still with Manchester City. And there was uh, a story that I asked her about in the tunnel after the Spain game where Lucy Bronze went and asked Bon Matty for her shirt <laughs> for Kira. And Kira told me she's only ever asked for two players' shirts in her life and she couldn't 
bring up the courage to ask about getting bomb matties, but she talked about her being a really underrated, rated player, if that makes any sense. How do you think she will fit in this star midfield, which is already glittered with talent? Yeah, I think uh, she's going to play a critical role because I think the problem that the Barcelona midfield has had is that it's so good. Those three key players, Alexia, uh, Aitana, Bomati and Patrick Icaro are so good that they're very hard to be replaced and they end up playing pretty much all the season and then every single game for Spain. And so then we have, you know, injuries coming up like we had with Alexia. Unfortunately, uh, Aitana Bomati has also picked up an, an injury at the beginning of the season. So it's going to be, I think, critical to add one, that level of, um, you know, just being able to give people rest, but also that level of competition, you know, challenging for those key spots. Obviously now with Alexia being you know, sideline for a long period of time. I think Walsh will play a very big role, probably taking over, you know, Patry's um, position and mm, Patry being kind of freed up a little bit more into kind of a more attacking role alongside Aitana. But I, I do think once, you know, Alexia comes back, it will be really interesting to see, you know, that kind of increased competition for those parts. What is it going to translate to for Barcelona? Walsh and Bronze's Barcelona debuts this weekend. They didn't go to Plan Bayer because of all season opening games being called off due to referee strikes. Can you tell us more about the backstory to that and, and why they all still turned up? Yeah, so it's a very complicated situation, actually. And I think we need to understand that there are like three main actors in this. There's obviously the referees. You know, you've got these female referees. Uh, the league is now professional. They're demanding that they're the last ones to get that professional status. They want, obviously, to get paid fairly for what they do. But then what's interesting is that the federation and the league both play key roles. And in Spain, there's been a long-standing battle between the federation and the um, league to get, you know, for control over women's football. It has been the federation all along until now. Now that it has become a professional league, the league has the ability to kind of rule its own and so kind of set its um, kind of calendar and, and everything. And there's this little area where the federation still has control, which is the referees. It is the, refer the federation that appoints and designates the different referees for each and every match each weekend. And then the league the clubs play, pay an amount of money to the federation to pay for those referees. And then it's the federation that passes on part of that as wages and part of that they keep as kind of handling costs for transport, hotels and, you know, kind of workshops, training, all of that. And so it is an interesting situation because it's the referees are actually striking against the league who is not really their employer. So they're not striking against the federation who's their employer and pays their wages they're going against the league and the league is saying, okay, listen, let's sit down and negotiate what we pay for you as salaries. And then we'll have a decoupled conversation with the federation about all the other extra costs, but we can agree on your salaries first. But the referees don't want to separate that conversation from the federation. And uh, there's an, an understanding that this might be because there's pressure on the federation side, you know, and they're using these referees as weapons against right. the league. And so it's kind of an interesting position for the referees because they can't really fight against the federation because they don't have a contractual agreement with them. If you decide not to strike, you might not be called ever again. And so it is a complicated league. There's a lot of politics there. Quite sad to see, actually, on the first kind of weekend of the season. 
What was really unusual was the players walking out, fans being there, because you think if, if you've got any knowledge that this is going to happen, then you wouldn't inconvenience everyone. I know that there were different reports. I've got a few here. So ex-Liverpool player Rinasola um, Babajide um, posted on Twitter saying that she had a nine-hour coach journey yeah. back to Sevilla from Valencia after the Real Betis game was postponed. There was 30 minutes after kickoff time that the Atletico Madrid and Real Sociedad teams were even told they were waiting. So all those delays, do you think that's an organisation? Is that part of the statement? Or? Um, I think it is part of just following the rules to make sure that it is um, not seen as, you know, a club, a club not turning up could be seen as forfeit or just actually the players striking themselves. You know, the club has to turn up to the game and then there is this kind of 30 minute lapse to, that is given us time for the referee to turn up if by those 30 minutes the referee hasn't turned up then they officially call the game off but if that doesn't happen then obviously you know you still need to give those referees a chance to turn up should they not wish to strike and so while everyone knew that this was going to happen they're kind of you know there's processes that need to be followed and in that sense I think the fans turning up in some cases on Saturday it might be because they really didn't know what was going on for Barcelona for example yesterday in the evening it was more of kind of showing support to players and some of the teams actually held open practices afterwards so it was you know kind of a nice gesture to fans but yeah really weird situation definitely a weird one for for players to be in Faye can you imagine being part of that no I can't yeah that I mean that sounds like for the Spanish players a lot worse to, to have to try to deal with that kind of situation than obviously the fact that our WSL games were called off this weekend for completely different reasons and understandably I think but yeah no this it, is hard to when you, you're not sure what's going on or you've got prepped your game your, your mind mentally and physically get yourself ready but then knowing it might not happen yeah it seems like a complete I mean if I was look, thinking of a player's point of view shambles because you're seeing it as a professional league and something like that happens it must be so frustrating from a player point of view and the fans mm. Bayer, are you expecting it to go ahead next weekend because if the matches are played Barcelona will face uh, Granadilla Tenerife I believe yeah and that um, yeah I don't know if if that's gonna gonna happen because honestly uh, the last we heard is the league offered the referees a chance to meet and um, kind of negotiate salaries the the referees turned it down because they said that without the federation there they're not negotiating anything and so it seems to be, you know, in a very, very complex situation right now. I think eventually it will have to be the Consejo Superior de Deportes, which is the kind of national sporting body um, that is linked to the government, that will have to come in and intervene and be like kind of, you know, kind of do some mediation between the parts. But until that happens, it looks like it's going to be a hard one to to predict. I don't think games will happen next weekend, but hopefully I'm wrong and we find a solution sooner rather than later. We can finish on some positive news. There has been a new domestic deal done with DAZN to show all matches and uh, live stream them. It's going to be massive, isn't it, for the increase of eyes on the game. What do you think about that as a new deal? Yeah, I think that's great. I think yeah, it also adds to the professionalization of the league as a whole because we did have some uh, TV deals a few years back, but then the lack of professionalization and the lack of kind of agreement between clubs clubs meant that each of them were going individually you know they were Atletico was doing Instagram lives of their games which was very sad indeed uh, and so just to have one out 
uh, where you can get all of the games. The games were actually all going to be um, on YouTube this first <laughs> match day. Uh, that didn't happen. Well, it did happen, but not in the way we were expecting it. But I think, you know, it will be a matter of then making sure that we take people over to those platforms because it's not the same as seeing it, you know, uh, live on TV uh, whenever you, you just turn on Goal TV, for example, like it was before. But I think it's a massive deal, the fact that someone wants to invest so much in, in the Women's League in, in mm. Spain. Thank you very much for joining us, Bea. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Unlike Spain and England, several leagues across Europe did play on the weekend. PSG and Lyon won their season opening matches convincingly. In Syria, Roma beat Milan 2-0, plus holders Juventus drew 3-3 with Internazionale with a red card for Juventus's Linda Sembrandt, followed by two goals after 90 minutes. And in Sweden, um, Hammerby shocked league leaders Rosengard with a 2-0 defeat. The Fram Bundesliga kicks off this coming weekend, along with WSL, with Georgia Stanway's Bayern Munich playing Frankfurt. This is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Jetting back to England now, where Charlotte has helped to get a law changed. Charlotte, tell us more. So I don't know if you remember back in a cold night in December at King's Meadow, Chelsea were playing Juventus and there was a pitch invader he was kind of parading around the centre circle with phone in hand. Magdalena Eriksson pointed to the stands, showing him where to go. Stewards went in sight. Samka lost patience, body checked him to the floor, much to the crowd's amusement. I'm not sure if you've seen the clip. And, I was there. Um, I was there, Charlotte. You were thought, there, Lindsay. I thought the shoulder barge was epic, I have to say. There was a part of me inside and Faye smiling as well. I, I was applauding I was applauding it but I know that I probably shouldn't have been <laughs> so Sam Kerr got booked for that um yes. Chelsea That's were fined yeah. 2,500 euros by UEFA for not preventing the pitch invader and the stewards eventually got to him and took him off the pitch game continued I contacted the Met Police and they said that no arrest was made. The police weren't there, which isn't unusual for a women's game, depending on the uh, level of risk. But if they were called, they believed that they wouldn't be able to make an arrest under the Football Offences Act because women's games weren't included as designated matches. So it's an offence to walk on the pitch or to throw missiles or to chant abusive or racist language at designated matches under the Football Offences Act. The definition of the designated matches included men's games and specified the leagues. Now, the Home Office said that that match would have been, would have counted because they were playing a team overseas and Juventus's uh, home ground is outside of the UK. So that would have counted. But that was just a technicality. I mean, it was luck of the draw that that specific game uh, would have been included. Now, I wrote a column uh, piece for David Ornstein and uh, Tracy Crouch, the former sports minister, picked it up and they wrote, along with seven other MPs, to Nigel Huddleston, the sports minister, saying the law needed to be updated because domestic matches, so the Women's Super League and Women's Championship wouldn't have been defined or under the definition of designated matches. 
And now uh, the government have agreed and it's in legislation that the Football Offences Act, which is now the 2022 order because there has been a tweak to the act and the football spectators order has now added the WSL and women's championship under the definition of designated and regulated football matches respectively. So they are included. And the key thing is, is that that means that football banning orders can be applied if people throw kind of smoke bombs or there is abusive language or there's a pitch invader and people need to be aware that if if you're prosecuted that could affect your education or your employment because you have a criminal record and previously under the law women's games or the domestic women's games wouldn't have been included you know professional athletes are afforded the same protection as you or me in a in a public park and with you know the intensity of the euros these players are becoming in demand you even saw it again england against luxembourg at stoke there was a a teenage girl i think who ran onto the pitch afterwards went to hug millie bright and I asked Millie about this and she said kind of Serena Wiegmann just held her hand instinctively and, and the girl just wanted her shirt. She was shaking. She just wanted Millie Bright's shirt. But we have to be aware of the the rules in place. But also, can you imagine a world where somebody would invade a man's workspace and be able to be arrested for it, but it wouldn't apply for a woman's workspace? So I think yeah. it's a message that we send to wide society that we want parity for professional athletes whether it's men's or women's absolutely and also at this point in time as well charlotte one of the things that we've seen as well and we saw it at the euros was there's a lot of demonstrators out there now wanting to try and and handcuff themselves to the goalposts or using glue we've seen attempts at that happening so there has to be some deterrence and it can't be an easier thing to happen at the women's with little repercussions just because it's a women's match can it so great work that you've managed to get some of this changed uh, Faye was this ever a problem when you were playing with pitch invaders or is this something that's become more prominent now no, I remember an FA Cup final, a pitch invader. I think I recall it being a female coming on the pitch. Um, we all kind of just looked at her, stood there, but it took quite a while for anyone to kind of come and address her and cover her up because she was didn't. Oh, you're talking a streaker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but she stood on the middle of the you know the field, so that we had to stop the play, and that was a cup final. So, and that would have been the game on telly. But um, I don't recall them showing it. I don't think I just we just obviously stopped, saw it stopped. And it was almost like, oh, okay. And that would have been back in, oh, I'm trying to remember, 2005 or six. Yeah, I think it was in yeah. Nottingham Forest. So if my and my memory, you know, um, I think uh, I do recall that situation happening. But equally nowadays, it's more like you said. There's demonstrators out there who will go, oh, okay, they're they're getting viewed. You know, they're live on telly now, and we can we can get maybe our message out. Um, as well as those ones that want to just come on and, you know, hug the players because they see them at that, that status now. So, yeah, I think it's a great piece of work by Charlotte and everyone involved because it's needed. Women's game is getting, it's growing all the time and it, it can't be just allowed to say, oh, it's acceptable at the women's game because it shouldn't be. Like you said, it uh, needs to be all um, the equality overall in all areas, really. So, and we're slowly getting there. 
no it can't it can't move and excel and gather great pace in one area and everything else stay the same or fall behind and I'm sure over the course of this season we will address more topics like that on the Athletic Women's Football Podcast Um, certainly lots of talking points and they don't stop just with that law change Um, hopefully the law won't have to be put into action this weekend as the WSL does kick off This is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast with Lindsay Hooper Yes, the new season opening WSL weekend will start this Friday night with Arsenal hosting Brighton, followed by Manchester United against Reading on Saturday. On Sunday, newbies Liverpool take on the holders Chelsea, while Everton will try to prove they belong higher up the table as they travel to West Ham. Leicester City have their work cut out as they face Spurs and Aston Villa host a somewhat depleted Manchester City. So ahead of the new opening weekend, uh, we caught up with Arsenal and Scotland's Jem Beattie. Jen, great to see you ahead of the new weekend, the new weekend of the weekend of WSL, because of course it got postponed by by a week. What was the reaction like when the matches were called off within? I know that it's for a very special reason, but what was the reaction? Yeah, no, everyone was obviously like fully understanding as to why. I think the whole country, you know, has a huge respect for what's going on and but obviously there was there was a dis- it's, it's such a big build up towards the opening weekend and Everyone had just come back off international break as well. So it was obviously, you know, everyone's going to be gutted when any game is postponed. But obviously it's still fully respected to what's going on and fully understanding. And how did you use the time off? We trained. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, we we used the time wisely, I'd say. We've um, obviously not had the girls back from the Euros for, for very long. So we actually hadn't had a lot of time really altogether. Obviously we went to Germany and did a little mini mini preseason tour out there. But yeah, we were we were straight on the training pitch. I think we, we need to use the time as importantly as possible. So yeah, we were straight onto the training pitch and uh yeah, so there, there was no days off really. A lot happened actually in football as well last week. You had the the deadline day in the WSL. We obviously just before that deadline day found out that Kira Walsh was going for a record fee to Barcelona from Man City. And obviously you played with her at Man City. What did you think about the magnitude of that deal, first of all? Yeah, I mean, huge. Um, I think it's another incredible sign of how much the game's grown and how much the, the value is put on players. And I think it's it's so well-deserved. I think I've obviously played with Kira for a number of years and watching her develop and progress as a player and then to you know play so well at the home tournament at the Euros as well. She, she fully deserved that move. And, you know, I was, I was so happy for her. And, you know, I ho- obviously hope I'd, she'll go there and absolutely smash it. But... The magnitude was obviously just a, a, a great sign of the way the game's growing and, you know, there's no player more deserved. I think Kira's gone quite quite underrated, I would say, over the past few seasons. She's not normally one of the names that people talk about. So I think in that sense, it was it was great to see her finally getting something that, that I think she deserved or people talking about her in a way that she deserved as being an unbelievable footballer. People will be talking about her now because I, I know with Penilla Harder up until the point that that deal happened, it was the, one of the things that always preceded talking about her was that she was the, the record fee in the league. Do you think there's an element of pressure that comes with a price tag and, and will she cope with that fine or is, is it not got to the scale where it should be pressure yet? No, I, I think to, to answer that simply, I, th- I think yes, yes to both. I think it's, of course, pressure comes with that price tag, but I think she deserves it. And I think she's she's so well suited to Barcelona's style of play that I've no doubt that she'll go and 
prove exactly why she has that price card next to her name. Charlotte Harper's been telling us about how she's managed to help influence a law change in the women's game to do with pitch invasions. So now people can be banned from attending games if they invade the pitch. We saw that famous scene where Sam Kerr shoulder barged someone over. From your points of view, when that happened, I mean, how much notice did you take that the fact that women's football wasn't listed in in the accepted matches? Yeah, I mean, I think, number one, you just have to protect the players and protect everyone in the stadium. So, of course, if if that rule is new, I think it's, it, need, it needed to be in the game. There's no reason why Sam Kerr should have had to have done what she did. I think the, it's, it's good to say that there's a process in place now to, to protect everyone involved in a match day and it should be the best experience for everyone, not just players, but the fans as well. So any policy that's put in place to protect that, then the better. The Brighton match at Meadow Park sold out. It's now going to be the season opener, Jen, on Friday night. Uh, we're going to get to see Lena Hurtig, one of the, the main signings from this summer. What sort of an addition do you think she'll be? No, she, she's been great. She's, um, you know, taken her game against a, a different dynamic. She's um, a very a quick runner, very um, a forward thinking, great under, great under pressure, great putting teams under pressure as well. So, She's been a great signing for us and has fitted in really well so far. And you can tell her her application is of such a high standard with how far Sweden have progressed in, in so many tournaments across the years. So she's been a great addition. So hopefully you guys will get to see her. And for anyone who missed it, we know that you did a guard of honour for the Euro winners that are in your squad when they return to training. First of all, tell us about that. And then also what you think the reception will be like on Friday for them as well. Yeah, no, it was great. It was great having, obviously, the Euro winners and then Rafa as well, coming back from Brazil and, and being a winner in her own sense as well. So, yeah, it was great to just show them sort of how much we appreciate the, the scale of what they did over summer and not just us, but staff across the board at our training ground was able to sort of congratulate them and, and speak to them as well. So I've no doubt that the fans will will go above and beyond on, on Friday night, I'm sure. It's a sellout, which is unbelievable for Bournemouth as well. So, yeah, we just can't wait to get going and can't wait to have the fans back and back in the doors. And, you know, hopefully it'll be a great game as well. What is it like for you all having not only the season opener, but then a few days later next week, you've got your Champions League first tie as well. So, bish, bash, bosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah, it's generally into a three-game week straight away, but... We're just excited to get going. I think we've we've really enjoyed preseason. I think everyone feels in a good place. Obviously, we would have loved to have kicked that off last weekend, but now we'll look forward to Friday night. It'll be exciting to play a Friday night game under the lights, and for that to to be a, an opener at home as well. Yeah, we can't wait for it. If I could, as a genie would, grant you one right now, the domestic title or the Champions League, which one would you want? I think domestic title. I think we're we're desperate to to be champions of England again, and you know, of course, everyone wants the Champions League, but you always want to win the the number one for us. I think is WSL. Off the back of our Euro shows, Jen, I think we've acquired quite a few new women's football fans. So, if you had a message to them of what they can expect from WSL this season, and they've not been to a game yet, and they're going to buy their first tickets, what what is it that you would sell to them about the experience? I think it's, it's definitely the best that women's football has ever been. I think it's it's finally at a stage where, you know, the professionalism has been there for a few years and I think the athleticism, the quality of play is all kind of falling into place now. So don't view it as a women's football game, just view it as you're coming to watch a game of football and, and hopefully that will be enough in itself. Thank you very much for your time and we wish you all the best against Bryson. Thank you, appreciate it. 
That was me speaking to Jem Beatty earlier. Uh, while you're both here, we should get some quick WSL predictions from you both, shouldn't we, really? Seeing him as the new season's going to be getting into full action. I need a quick fire top three, a relegated team, the Golden Boot winner, and a surprise package, please. Let's start with the expert amongst us who's been there, done it, got the t shirt. Uh, Faye, who's going to be in the top three? Say say me then. (laughs) (laughs) Had it been about law changes, Charlotte, I'd have been right right to you. Um, Faye? Yeah, so I'll go my top three. uh, I can't see anyone beating Chelsea again. I think Arsenal could run them close. So Chelsea top, Arsenal second, and I think I'm going to go Man United third. I gave mine last week, so I can hold off. Charlotte? Very similar. Um, Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester United. I think Arsenal will really take it to the wire once again with Chelsea, though. Oh, so you're going the same. Uh, relegated team, who are you going for, Faye? Um, I'm going Leicester. I think they've got a young team, haven't they? Um, I think Liverpool, obviously, coming up from Championship, but they've got Matt Beard. They've got some, a few ex- more experienced players that have just signed. So... I think they might just have enough. They might be able to adjust to the pace. Um, but Leicester, yeah, I think Lydia Beth is a good coach, but I'm just not sure if they're uh, going to have the experience in their squad. Charlotte? Leicester again. I think newly promoted Liverpool. I think they'll stay up. Birmingham were relegated last year and Leicester were close to the bottom. I think this year they'll go down. Golden boot winner. We'll go the other way around this time, Charlotte. Predictably, Sam Kerr. She scores goals and she'll deliver again if Chelsea are up at the top. And having said that, you know, Arsenal tend to distribute their goal scorers. I know Beth Mead had a stormer at the Euros, but Sam Kerr for me. I mix this up just to show that you, it doesn't look like you're just copying Faye each time. And now we give Faye <laughs> an opportunity. You did me a favour though. There you go, Faye Golden Boot. I desperately want to say Blackstinius, but I think I'm going to have to say Sam Kerr. I'm hoping Blackstinius pushes her closely as well as Miedemar. Um But then there's a secret... Uh, hoping that Alessia Russo is up there too from an English point of view but um, yeah I can't see Sam Kerr not scoring a hat fold again with the players that she has around her. I think this one's going to be different I'm going to go out on a limb and think that there's going to be different answers for this one surprise package Charlotte. Everton Uh, I spoke to Brian Sorensen last week really interesting what he was saying Uh, I think they've got a pretty good squad just not many people know them because of their Scandi connections um, has a plan, defence and attack, but also um, fluid in his formation. So I know they struggled last year, but I think Everton, uh, yeah, they'll be my surprise package. Faye? Um, I'm glad I, I was going to be slightly different. I nearly went Everton because I think Sonson will be a good coach for them. Um, but I'm going to go Villa purely because I think they've made some good additions with Daly, Kinsa Diali. Natasha Hardin, Danielle Turner as well, Kirsty Hanson. They're, they're players that know what the league's about, got some experience, fighters, I think, for their team, good team players. So I think with some of the, with Carla Ward and some of the other players they already have, I think they could do a lot better than what they did last year. Brilliant. Well, thank you both for those. We'll add those into our prediction part. It started last week. Yours are in there. We do resurrect them as the season goes on just to taunt you a little, especially if they go awry. Well, that's all we have time for on this week's Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Faye, Charlotte, thank you both very much. Thank you. Thanks for having us on, Lindsay. 
And thank you to you at home as well for listening. We always want to hear your thoughts. You can get in touch at The Athletic UK and at Offside Rule Pod. So give us your thoughts if you've got anything that you want to get off your chest. And also, if you know anyone who's joined the new Women's Football Brigade, somebody that maybe watched the Euros this summer and has got absolutely hooked, then make sure you let them know about us to subscribe and follow. We'll see you next week. The Athletic.